Hi, welcome to Exploring Illusion of Free Will. My name is George Ortega, and this is July 22nd, I think, 2014. I'm a little hoarse because I just did a two show, a couple of shows, and I, I think I was talking too loudly. Who knows? But this is episode number 166, and, and the title is Free Will, Refutation, Cost, Role in Climate Change Denial, Part 6. All right, this is part of a series that I'm basically reviewing this book that I published in April titled Free Will, Its Refutation, Societal Cost, and Role in Climate Change Denial. Okay, and you can get this on Amazon. I think I charge, I don't know, $6 or something, whatever. And you can get it Kindle for free. And actually, if you go to my, my Facebook page, you know, I provide a free download link. You can download the PDF. But anyway, um, so basically, you know, this book is about like, a lot of people are beginning to understand that no, absolutely nothing is up to us. Reality is a movie. We have no free will. Free will is an illusion. But people say, well, it just doesn't matter. So the importance of this book is at first it like it powerfully refutes the the notion of free will. It's a, you know, my my previous book, Exploring Illusion of Free Will, was more of a popular work. All right, this is like very <clears throat> robustly scholarly. You know, it's, it's, it's heavily referenced. It's got 50 citations. It's not for the general reader, but I think through these video presentations, I think most, most of the public can, can get the points of it. All right, so basically we're going through... Um, last episode, we started on, on um, Chapter 3, which is where I... It's, uh, it's titled Refutation of Published Free Will Defenses, and basically I go through four published articles, you know, recent, like as far back as 2008, that attempt to defend free will, and I basically refute the arguments there. So I did a bit of that last episode, and so now we're on page 14 of the book, which means we're about halfway through the book, and so like, who knows, it may take 12 episodes to get through this, but that's fine. Uh, We'll just go, we're going through it, you know, basically point by point. So, all right, so now we're discussing this guy Fingeret's article, and basically um, his name is Herbert Fingeret, and in 2008 he published an article called Free Choice in the peer-reviewed journal Current Psychology. Okay, so basically he's making some (coughs) free will defenses, and we're basically, you know, showing how they're false, how they don't work. Um, Basically, the way... The way I usually start the shows is how I'm going to start this one is, you know, by defining what we mean when we say we we have free will. And I I guess I'll also explain why we don't, just very briefly. Um, Basically, the notion of free will is that, like, what we do is up to us, that nothing that is not in our control is making us do what we do. All right, that's essentially... And because of that, we're fundamentally morally responsible. You know, the difference between that and pragmatic moral responsibility is like, all right, we don't have a free will, but we still have to hold ourselves responsible because otherwise we wouldn't have any laws or rules or something, and, you know, we need that, you know, because, like, we're still hedonic creatures. Um, we respond to reward and punishment, so we, we, um, we still have to do that. But, <clears throat> all right, so the reason, one reason we, have, we don't have free will, the basic reason is causality because everything has a cause, but another way to, of understanding this is like if you remember your basic science, your biology, your psychology, you know that um, organisms basically seek pleasure and avoid pain. 
That's why one way to understand. In other words, if, if, if all our behavior is predicated on the belief that a certain beha um, behavior of ours is going to create more pleasure, reduce pain, whatever, then that's not a free decision. We're programmed that way. We're hardwired. Um, another way to refute free will is, again, through, through something you learned in biology and science. This Remember, like, there used to be a debate whether human behavior, whether behavior of not just humans but other living organisms is a result of nature, you know, their genes, their heredity, or nurture, you know, their environment, their experience, okay? They, they used to debate this a long time ago. Now, in, in our modern science, we know that it's generally a combination of both. You know, what we do is partly it's like our personality, for example, is about 50% genetic, about, you know, the rest of it is environmental. Um, so, like, all right, so if you think about it that way, think about it, you know, the science doesn't say our behavior is a result of, you know, nature, nurture, and this nebulous notion thing called free will, you know? In other words, like, and actually because, think about it, because our every behavior is, is even in part determined by our genetics, that completely refutes free will, because free will would mean, means that we are that our decisions are completely our, our own. Nothing is either compelling our decisions or influencing them. So, like, naturally, because our heredity, our genetics, and our experience and environment influence who we are, make us who we are, actually, then that's, that's a clear way of understanding why we don't have free will. All right. Um, and, again, the most fundamental refutation of free will is just the fact that everything is a cause. And I've gone through it in now over 160 shows, so, you know, you can refer to that on, on YouTube. These shows are uploaded to YouTube, and so you can find them online and a few other venues. I, I eventually then convert them to MP3 or just like audio, and you, they're also available through iTunes. All right, so we're on page 14, and we're continuing to refute um, Fingerette's arguments. So, um, he... So basically, his, his next challenge to free will is he's, he's kind of like questioning the I, you know, that, um, that, um, that we're referring to. You know, in other words, like, he's saying, well, you have to define what you mean by I, you know, in order to, to you know, to, ref, to, ref, to refute free will. And here's the thing. So like, if you're defining I as a personal I with a body who was born at a certain date, you know, and you know, has this, this physical manifestation, this incarnation, any reference to a personal I like that cannot have a free will, okay? And the reason for that is clear. It's simply that any decision that I make, let, let's use causality, has a cause, and, you know, as we know, everything has a cause. That's why we call it the law of cause and effect. The principle of causality applies to everything. And, you know, incidentally, the beginning of the book goes into why that notion is irrefutable. You know, fundamentally, you can't refute it with logic or with science. That's how powerful it is. But um, anyway, so like if you have any of our decisions subject to this cause and effect. That means like we make a decision, it's got a cause, and that cause has a cause, and that cause has a cause, and that cause has a cause, and these causes are regressing back to before we were born, to the Big Bang. So ultimately, it's the Big Bang that is making us, our personal I, do whatever we want. So it doesn't matter how you define us as I's, you know, like as long as we have a body and we were born to a certain date, whatever, we can't have a free will. 
All right, then um, his next free will defense is he, he distinguishes between a passive and an active aspect of consciousness. Now, what's interesting about this defense, I don't get into it in the book, but I'd like to get into it a bit here now. Um, basically, and I'll get into you know the refutation after this, but basically, he's suggesting that our conscious... Our conscious mind rescues free will, but the, the fact is another way to refute free will is like to understand that we never, ever, ever make any conscious decisions. And, and here's the rationale for this. This is, this is a bit complicated, so you know you might want to like rewind the, the video or whatever and go back to it a few times. But here's the, here's the, the, um, the rationale. Okay. At any given moment, we're aware of... of, of one, maybe it tops two, three things, right? In other words, right now I'm aware of number three on the, on the um, camera. I'm, I'm listening to what I'm saying right now. I'm thinking a thought, whatever. But it, our consciousness is fleeting. It's momentary. It goes from cognition to cognition to cognition. What I mean to say by this is like we're not conscious of all of the stuff that's in our memory, of all the stuff that's in our mind that's stored in our unconscious. In other words, we know a, a whole vocabulary of words that we're not thinking of right now. They're not conscious. We know a whole, we know a whole collection of memories that we're not, they're not in our consciousness right now. They're stored in the unconscious, okay? So, we make a decision. We're going to be sifting through that data. And the other part of making a decision that, that, that's relevant to this is that we make decisions based on principles. You know, does it make sense? Is it moral? Um, is it the best thing to do? And, you know, there are certain kind of criteria by which we decide. And again, we're not conscious of this. You know, we're, we're not, you know, this stuff is also stored in the unconscious. Because again, if we were conscious of it, we'd have it in our mind all the time and we just don't. Because again, consciousness is fleeting, it's momentary, it goes from from one awareness to... And consciousness, you know, there are about 20 different definitions of consciousness, but there's one general one that's most, most agreed upon, and consciousness is generally basically awareness, you know, to be aware. So, like, what's unconscious is what we're not aware of. So here's the argument, here's the uh, refutation of free will based on the fact that we don't make any conscious decisions. If all of the data, the memories... Because when we decide, we're deciding based on something, right? If we decide to, let's say, eat a... I'm with this grapefruit examples recently. I don't know. So, like, if we decide to eat a grapefruit um, for breakfast, um, it's because, like, we've eaten grapefruit fruits in the past, and we, we apparently like them. We like the taste. And, like, we remember they haven't made us violently sick afterwards. And, like, you know, they're readily available, whatever. You know, there's... There's certain kinds of like memories that relate to grapefruits, whatever. And maybe we remember we have one in the house, whatever. So anyway, so like um, what we decide is based on these, these kinds of like memories, these experiences we've had in the past that are stored in the unconscious. That's the key. They're stored in a part of our mind. What is the unconscious? The unconscious is the part of our mind that we're not aware of. That's why we call it the unconscious. Our conscious mind is not aware that it has an unconscious. I mean, like, that's, for example, with hypnosis. You'll, you'll get somebody to do something that's hypnotized, you know, whatever. But anyway, so here's the thing. So, like, all right, so when you consider that the data 
the information, the memories, the cognitions, the vocabulary, the concepts, the ideas by which we're going to decide and the principles by which we decide, the criteria, is it right, is it wrong, does it make sense, are both stored in the unconscious. What does that tell you? That tells you that our conscious mind never makes a single decision. Okay? It never decides anything. What's happening is like our unconscious sifts through the data that only it has access to, because remember the unconscious is not accessible to the conscious mind. So the unconscious is sifting through the data, applying its criteria for deciding, its principles and all that, making the decision, and then we become quote-unquote conscious of or aware of the decision that the unconscious has made. Okay, now clearly, if we're not even aware of the existence of the unconscious mind consciously, we have no control over it. You know, we we just, it's like, it's unconscious. So if our decisions are unconscious, they cannot be freely willed. Um, There's a book, there's a book by a psychologist who passed away, unfortunately, about a year or two ago. His name is Dan Wegner, Harvard psychologist. It's a monumentally important book. Um, it's called The Illusion of Conscious Will. It was published, I believe, in 2002. And he basically goes through countless examples you know, of, 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 of why this is so. He tries to explain why we believe we have a free will, but a lot of the book is, is, is based on just explaining why all our decisions are you know, made at the level of the unconscious. But basically, you know, what I just said is, is, is the general theory behind it, you know. The data and the principles by which we decide are all in the unconscious. The unconscious is not accessible to our conscious mind. Thereby, therefore, you know, quite logically, very clearly, it's the unconscious making decisions. All right. So, um, so anyway, this this relates to Fingeret's, you know, distinction between a passive and an a- a- active aspect of consciousness. You know, so he's saying like. But again, we just said, like, you know, our decisions aren't made, made by the conscious mind, so, like, that kind of refutes his distinction. Oh, it doesn't matter whether it's passive or active, the decision is made by the unconscious, and that's why we don't have free will. But another way to refute it is that, like, you know, this passive or active, and I'm not even sure what he means by that, but aspect of our consciousness is not exempt from the law of cause and effect. In other words, our consciousness, our awareness is in the universe. <clears throat> and it's like, it's manifest, it's manifesting the behavior of neurons, neural activity, neuro, our neurobiology, you know, our hardware. So basically, you know, this consciousness, this passive and active consciousness that you're referring to, is subject to causal law, subject to the law of cause and effect. So in any way, so it's, it's the causality that also refutes this defense of free will. It doesn't matter that the, the consciousness is either passive or active. As long as it's subject to causality, it's the causality that makes free will impossible. I'm getting tired. All right, we've got like 12 minutes. Um, okay, so like his next, um, then his last challenge is, uh, he's challenging determinism. And again, like, you know, if you didn't, um, what I explained before is to challenge determinism, like, Determinism has two meanings. One meaning is like we can't use Newtonian physics to predict. Um, or determinism is, is that like that we we can use Newtonian physics to predict the be- behavior of particles. All right. 
Um, sometimes they say, well, if it's indeterministic, means that we have to rely on probabilities. But like his meaning here is like a lot of people use the term determinism and causality as synonymous. Basically, determinism is an aspect of causality, but it relates to prediction, whereas causality is the basic principle. So anyway, we can like so. Um, I'll just read his, his last um, defense. Quote, the determinist emphasizes that our wants have causes. This is an important issue, but it is a different issue from whether we are able to do what we want. Okay. <laughs> so he's saying if we can do what we want, it doesn't matter whether our decisions have causes. The fact that we're doing what we want gives us a free will. Um, Schopenhauer was, I think, the most notable philosopher to refute this contention. And he's got a phrase that goes, well, yes, we can, we can choose what we want, but we can't choose what we want to want. In other words, like, our wants are not up to us. Yeah, we, we, can, we can choose what we want, but that want wasn't something that we freely willed. You know, it was, it was something that we're compelled. For example, if I wanted a grapefruit, I may want it because I like the taste of grapefruits. I wouldn't want to eat, like, you know, um, a bar of aluminum or something. I don't know. So, like, all right. So, basically, now, all right, so that's, that's one reputation, you know, but, but the, the one I use in the book, and this, this he cites on page five of his article. So... Again, causality is the, um, the refutation to this free will defense. If, if you remember that our wants have causes, okay? So we want something, fine. And, we, we're, and we're compelled to do what we want. But that want and the doing of, of that want is all subject to the law of cause and effect. So, like, if we want to do something and then there's a cause to that want and there's a cause to that cause and a cause to that cause and these causes are regressing back to before we were born, clearly and obviously, that's not a free will. We don't, we don't have a free will. It's causality that fundamentally makes free will impossible. All right. Now, we, we're getting back to the, um, to the topic of numinousness or, or non-physicality. I, I, I went through it in last episode, but, but you know, just as, um, just as Baumeister brought it up, <coughs> Fingeret um, is also bringing it up. He says, he writes um, on page 85 of his... Um, oh, no, no, whoa, 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 I'm sorry. We've got... We're, um, we're now going from... We're, we're, now, we're now going from, from Fingeret's paper, okay, to a paper by this guy, Mayer, and he wrote it in 2011, and we've got time to begin with, so like, all right, the, the name of the paper, Mayer happens to be an MD, which is kind of like embarrassing, because like the, the American Medical Association has a, a journal of ethics, and in it, you know, it had an article some time ago. I've got it on my website, exploring illusion of free will, causal consciousness.com, that they assert that, well, you know, not everything is deterministic or causal, they think. And so that gives us an, you know, that, that lends the possibility to have free will. They don't understand. The American Medical Association does not understand that refuting causality or determinism doesn't give you free will. In fact, it makes it 
free will even more impossible because if if our choices are uncaused, there abs- there's absolutely no way we can attribute them to ourselves. All right, so this guy's name is J.R. Mayer, and he wrote his article in 2011, and the name of the article is, Is Free Will an Illusion? And it's published in the peer-reviewed journal Ethics and Medicine, okay? So, we've got about seven minutes, so we'll start on this. Um, so he's relying on Cartesian dualism. Uh, Cartesian means um, Descartes. Um, I forget what his name, first name was, but um, Descartes was a philosopher that said, well, there's a difference between matter and spirit. There's some things are material, some things are non-material. Um, most scientists don't believe that. Most scientists are materialists. We believe that the spiritual is that aspect of reality that we just can't detect. And a good example of this is, for example, in our universe, our known universe is um, is 96% unknown to us. In other words, like <clears throat> there's 4% of the universe that we interact with. This, it's what we see, hear, feel, think, you know, all that stuff. It's like, you know, our, our, our technology can detect it, we can interact with it, whatever, in general. There's 96% of, of our universe that's dark energy and dark matter combined, you know. And this, we know this dark energy and dark matter exists because it exerts a gravitational force on reality. We know it has existed, but we don't know anything about it. You know, we know it's out there. We have, we're clueless as to what it is. <clears throat> so, so it could be that what we refer to as spiritual or numinous, whatever, is actually within this 96% of reality that, that is, you know, as yet, who knows, maybe eventually we'll be able to interact with it, but, you know, in the t- for the time being, we're not able to interact with it. Anyway, so his, his um, defense of free will on page 85 is that, quote, Indeed, material determinism fails to acknowledge the numinous qualities of the mind, numinous meaning, meaning non-physical, non-material, and thus threatens to change what it means to be human. Yes, yes, it does change. In other words, like, I've done episodes on, like, our world overcoming the illusion of free will would be, all right, there's a guy, um, John Searle. Um, I, I, I'll go into this, because this, this, this goes to the importance of the show, whatever. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get to the rest of his later, because I'm tired anyhow. <laughs> John Searle, he's like this eminent philosopher um, in this encyclopedia of philosophy, you know, as, as of 2010, I believe. They did a survey of, to find out how many times people who were listed in that encyclopedia had been cited in that encyclopedia, you know, by other philosophers, whatever. And so John Searle was ranked number 13, 14. He was tied with some other guy as, as being the post-19, you know, philosophers, this was limited to philosophers born after 1900, as being, you know, like the 13th, 14th most cited philosopher. So anyway, he's not just any run-of-the-mill philosopher. He's, he's a pretty eminent guy. And incidentally, he believes in free will. But when, when this woman psychologist from Britain, Great Britain, Susan Blackmore, was researching a book she published in 2005 called Conversations on Consciousness, she asked him, well, what would it mean if our world were to understand and acknowledge that free will is an illusion? 
Okay, and his answer, as I start this book on, because like it's on um, page one, um, he says that for our world to acknowledge this would represent a, quote, bigger revolution in our thinking than Einstein or Copernicus or Newton or Galileo or Darwin. It would alter our whole conception of our relation with the universe. In other words, this is the biggest scientific discovery of all time, okay? And so, like, so yes, it, 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 um, it amounts to a categorically new and different human consciousness. Instead of seeing ourselves as free agents, we see ourselves as part of this movie over which we have absolutely no control. You know, we're in a movie. The whole of reality is a movie. It's not just us. Everything that happens is fated or destined to happen because of this causality. And so, yeah, so like, Mayer is right. It would change what it means to be human, but it would change it. Why am I doing this show? Because like the free will belief, and I should have gone into this, I should do this more, I should mention this, it's very, very harmful. Not only is it like threatening our climate, you know, by, by causing people to deny climate change, it creates so much unnecessary, hateful, blame, guilt, you know, arrogance, envy. It's just a, it's a belief, it's an illusion that makes, that creates much, much unnecessary uh, displeasure in life. You know, without it, our lives would, would function so much more intelligently, so much more compassionately, and so much more pleasantly. Um, so, all right, so yeah, so he's right, um, but that's not really a defense of free will. And, and I, I, you know, um, but somehow he, he attempts to use it as, as such. All right, we're running out of time, and I'm running out of, you know, energy because I'm tired. Um, we're going to, like, start, um, hold on. Um, all right, so, all right, the basic refutation to, to, to his thing about the numinous. In other words, like, yes, I explained this before in a, few, in a previous episode. Saying that, that a decision is numinous or non-physical doesn't defend free will because that decision took place within a certain moment in time. And if the decision takes place within a certain moment of time, it is subject to the physical laws of nature because time does not exist outside of the universe. Time is a measurement of mass energy moving through space. And so you've got time, mass energy, and space all being physical entities, and thus the, for the decision to take place within time, you know, means that it's physical. It's governed by the, the law of cause and effect, which is a physical law. All right, so, so next I'm going to like go into some other stuff. And um, now we've got a, a bit to go on, on refuting. We've got another article after this, um, this guy, Mealy, um, who wrote an article in 2012, that he makes a lot of absurd claims about, you know, free will defenses, whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with them. And we'll continue to do this and, and go through the next chapters. The chapter after this will be implications of free will belief and disbelief. And after that, we'll get into the climate change. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time here on Exploring Illusion Free Will. Thanks.